Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. But God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding, his church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life, it's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious, think well, advance good. This is Q. Things that we think are doors being closed or dreams being shattered actually become moments when windows open and new dreams are given life. And I think oftentimes the Lord can use these inflection points in our life as opportunities to put us in a whole new trajectory that sometimes are even better, more exciting than we could ever imagine. And it's encouraging to see how the Lord uses those time and again to develop us into the men and women he wants us to be. The only constant in life is change, or so the saying goes. Hi, and welcome to this week's Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons on Faith Radio. I'm Paul Perot with Gabe, and we've been through a season of change, and I don't just mean flipping the calendar into 2022 like we did a few weeks ago. The pandemic has changed a lot, and of course, with 2022, our nation has midterm elections this coming fall, so more change ahead. And again, maybe you're walking through a season of profound personal transition, maybe as a leader or even as just a young person. Or Gabe, maybe somebody is listening who is trying to navigate a career change or is trying to make sense of something that happened in their lives that has created conflict and challenge. And you can't quite see your way through it. You're not sure what is God doing in this moment. And, and is this going to be for my good and my betterment? Or is this going to be for, for something that's a detriment in my life? And Michael Lindsay is incredible. He's a sociologist who served at Rice University, became president of Gordon College in Massachusetts, recently moved into presidency of Taylor University, a school you'll hear in a moment a little bit more about that has a little bit of background for me. But he's the author of Faith in the Halls of Power, How Evangelicals Joined the American Elite, which was nominated for the nonfiction Pulitzer Prize in 2007. But most recently, what we're going to talk about today is his book, Hinge Moments. And you're going to hear all about the background and all the extensive interviews that Michael does when he's trying to bring to the fore something really important for us to grapple with. And today it's going to be all about these transition moments. How do we think about them? How do we lead through them? How do we lead ourselves? Who else do we need in our life to help us make sense of these different moments? And so I think as you listen to this, it's going to make a lot more sense. Looking forward to hearing what you think about this episode. Let's listen now to Michael Lindsay. Michael, welcome to the Q Ideas podcast. It's great to have you with us. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so you have done such extensive work. And in fact, you spoke at our first Q Ideas conference we ever did, 2007. And it was after you'd written one of your other prolific books called Faith in the Halls of Power. And I I always remember that and was so appreciative of you just bringing this great sociological perspective to a bigger conversation about what it looked like for people of faith to be in the midst of our world and and how that could play out. And now you've done it again. You've written another book that's just awesome called Hinge Moments, where you've done such a deep dive of study into helping people 
better understand these transition moments, how critical they are. But I'd, I'm going to stop talking about it because I want you to share with everybody just kind of the background on this concept, why it was important to you, and then a little bit of the history of, of what all went into the work of you reaching some of the conclusions that you found. Well, it's it's a great project because I had a chance to interview 550 leaders in all different walks of life. Former Presidents Carter and Bush, cabinet secretaries like Condoleezza Rice, presidents of Harvard, Stanford, and the CEOs of uh, 250 of the largest companies. But one of the things that really struck me as I was looking at their stories and analyzing the data is how significant moments of change and transition had been in shaping the trajectory of their life. Most of the people that I interviewed had found ways to leverage change, either good or bad change that came into their life, to be able to help them uh, to deepen in their character and, frankly, to uh, widen their influence. And I was really struck by that. Originally, I thought I would write a book for college students. I'm a college president. I love working with college-age kids. But as I was working on it, I just realized that this is actually a book that speaks to me in my life. And so uh, my hope is that Hinge Moments will be a resource for anyone who is trying to make sense of change or anticipating a kind of change that they might have in their family, their work life, or in their community. Yeah, and of course, the timing isn't lost on me that you just made a significant transition from president of Gordon College to president of Taylor University. How has that transition been for you, and how, how would you gauge this Hinge moment in your life? Well, I'm living proof that the principles of my book actually do work in real life because I've lived them out over the last year or so. And it was in the midst of writing this book that I became persuaded that maybe God was calling me to be willing to step away from the presidency at Gordon. That was a really hard decision. I loved the job. I had worked hard in the job for 10 years. I thought I'd be there the rest of my career. But I began getting these signals, these signposts that maybe God was wanting me to do something different. And it was scary because I'd never stepped away from a job without having one lined up to go to next. And I didn't have that. But in God's providence, I think part of it was an act of obedience that prepared me to an openness to be willing to to make a move uh, to the Midwest and to consider a calling that I, I probably wouldn't have considered previously. So hinge moments come upon our life either because we have changes that we're expecting. Uh, you know, my wife and I decide to have a child or um, we apply for and get into grad school, or it might be hinge moments that come to us that we're not expecting. Your company closes down or your mom is diagnosed with cancer. All of these become moments for us to engage our, our faith and to deepen our character. And I've, uh, I've loved the experience of walking through my own hinge moment and the seven stages of transition. Well, I think of my one of my most significant early hinge moments was uh, something you just mentioned when our first child was born for Rebecca and I, Cade, mm. was born and he had Down syndrome. And that was something that at age 26, we were surprised by, hadn't really prepared for. And I look back now and the significance of that turning point that I didn't make happen, it just happened. But the response to it was everything and the openness of surrender to just saying, God, you're, you're doing something here. I don't know how this is going to play out. I don't know what next year is going to look like. But clearly you're recentering our hearts on your kingdom, on how you want us to live. And, and that ultimately was the genesis to start the work that we do now at Q Ideas was, came, came out of that moment and out of his 
birth. He's 20 years old now, so mm. we're getting old, aren't we, Michael? <laughs> it is amazing how things that we think are doors being closed or dreams being shattered actually become moments when windows open and new dreams are given life. And I think oftentimes the Lord can use these inflection points in our life as opportunities to put us in a whole new trajectory that sometimes are even better, more exciting than we could ever imagine. And it's encouraging to see how the Lord uses those time and again to develop us into the men and women he wants us to be. Yeah. Well, what I love about what you've outlined, I mean, 550 interviews with some of the most amazing people, and this is consistent with the work that you've done, Michael, you you go and you get deep with several people that are respected, that walk every type of um, industry type career job out in their life. And then you synthesize all that and you bring back to us and to the reader, all of these incredible ideas and concepts that we just never would have access to. One of the conclusions that you came to were that there are these seven different phases that occur during a transition. And for those who are listening right now, and maybe they're in the middle of that transition, but they wouldn't know how to identify or recognize it or what the next step is. I don't want you to lay them all out because I I want people to go get this book and I want them to dig into it. But I'd love to hear from you just which which one or two of these phases are are, um, more difficult to walk through, uh, require a little more patience, a little more seeing um, and, and help us better understand. And maybe if we're in that transition now, we could recognize it in a way we wouldn't have before we listened to this. So one of the things that struck me is that just as uh, when you're dealing with a sense of loss, you go through stages of grief. So also when you're dealing with a change, you go through stages of transition. And the book lays out seven of these. And it's basically mapping them along two graphs or two axes. One is the passage of time, which is moving forward. And another is degrees of confidence. And the, the premise of the idea is that we get to a low point in the process, what I call the intersection phase or the liminal phase, where you're literally sort of like standing at the threshold between the old room you used to live in uh, and you're about to step into the new room you're going. But before you step into that new room, there's a real low ebb of confidence because you don't have the same sources of support or encouragement. You don't have the same connections. It can be a really tough and challenging time in that intersection phase. I found that that's probably the most critical phase of the seven because it it determines the angle of the trajectory going forward after that moment. And it can last for a, a matter of a couple of weeks, or for most of us, it's a matter of a few months. For me, in my own journey, it was the five or six months between the moment when I knew that I was stepping away from Gordon and had announced it to the world, but I had not yet found where I was going next. And the reason why that's so difficult is because you oftentimes are just stumbling around and you have to really rely upon God in ways that even those of us who who think of ourselves as having a deep and abiding faith, we recognize we really don't have that nearly as much as we were hoping for. And so that intersection phase can be the most challenging time, but also I find to be the most profound, most important time. And so one of the key ways that I learned you can make good use of it is to integrate it as a set of daily disciplines that are different from one another. Arthur Brooks is a a friend, and he talked about his own intersection phase when he made the decision to step down as the president of the American Enterprise Institute, but before he knew and was landing his spot at Harvard. And for about six months, he, as a devout, devout Catholic, went to mass every single day. And he said, I don't know what you evangelical Protestants do, but you need to come up with something analogous. (laughs) And for my wife and me, it was what we call a discernment walk. And so every day, 
no matter rain or shine, if it was in the morning or sometimes we did it at 10 o'clock at night, we would take a walk for 15, 20 minutes to sometimes a couple of hours. We'd pray out loud. We chose to meditate on Psalm 37, uh, which is a, a good uh, psalm for anyone who's going through the intersection phase of life and to ask the Lord to guide us. And I look back on those five or six months as among the most meaningful in my marriage. We've been married for 26 years, but also in my spiritual journey as well. Yeah, that's that's great and very helpful to understand that sometimes these hinge moments, uh, it's an absolute walk of faith and you don't understand what's on the other side of it. Um, did you find often when you were interviewing these leaders and they were describing to you these hinge moments in their life, was there a certain perspective that one has to take in the midst of these moments to ensure that you're going to reach the best outcome, that you're going to walk through that transition um, with the most positive outlook and outcome possible? Uh, what are some of those maybe character qualities or principles that you came to find were consistent? There's a guy who teaches at Harvard named Ron Heifetz, and he says that if you're going to make sense of those more challenging seasons of life, you have to get on the balcony. And by this, he means you have to sort of take a step back to be able to look at the, the full picture, the full uh, perspective. So just as you can you can notice patterns in um, a ballroom dance, if you're standing on the balcony overlooking the dance floor, so also you can make sense of more patterns in your life if you get to the balcony where you can take a step back. So oftentimes that occurs by people taking a, a silent retreat or saying that they're going to spend some time in some introspection. Um, for others, it, it's a process of actually having a coach or a guide or a counselor walk you through sort of your own journey and then helping to notice patterns. But all of those become very important for you to sort of make sense of your life by taking stock and, and pulling back in some ways. So often in life, particularly among leaders who are hard-charging type A people, it's so easy to become focused on the here and now, the minutia, just what's right in front of you, when in fact... When you're going through those big inflection points, those big hinge moments, the best thing to do is to take a step back and to see how has God used challenges and opportunity in your past to create new avenues of possibility? And then what might he be doing in this moment? And so how can you be attuned to God's leadership? What, what are disciplines you can put in your life? What are ways that, in essence, you can put glasses on that allow you to see in a new and different way? So that getting to the balcony, I think, is one of the most important concepts. Yeah, and I think probably perspective on what is success, right? What, how, mm -hmm. do, how do we measure whether this has been a good transition or not? What are the metrics we're doing this by? And I, I wonder, too, did you find, Michael, that it was important to have other people in your life to help you walk through and have that perspective versus just in isolation, trying to consider these things. Absolutely. And, and oftentimes in those, in the intersection phase, you're really stripped of a lot of your support mechanisms because you don't have the same deep connections, especially when you're moving to a new place or a new community. You don't yet have those deep friendships. So you really have to rely upon people who are in your life and who know you really well. So if you're married, obviously that's your spouse. Uh, if you're single, it's it's uh, deep friends who have who've walked the journey with you for multiple years, and they are the people who can help you discern. For me, in this intersection phase, it was my wife, uh, two mentors, and a best friend. And those four people really helped me think about both the possibilities and the perils that I might face in different scenarios, and to ask God to sort of guide and, and walk alongside me in that process.
Do you do you feel like when you're in the middle of a hinge moment, you know you're in it, um, or does sometimes those just creep up on you and it, it it in the moment didn't feel like that significant? You look back though and go, "Wow, that was significant." I know you mentioned how these moments can, you know, maybe only represent a few hundred minutes of your life, yeah. but it could impact like seventy to eighty years. Do you think it's true that you always recognize in the moment that you're walking through? Uh, something that's going to be a catalyst or sometimes it, does it take a while before you look back and go, wow, that was a huge moment in my life. I do think that for most of us, there are uh, a couple of stages of this uh, transition that occurs before we actually meet the moment of change. And so that's when you start to get butterflies in your stomach or you have a premonition or you begin to think, you know, something you're, you've got a holy restlessness. I think that sometimes occurs. Oftentimes uh, with change, particularly with tragic change, you really don't uh, fully appreciate all that's occurring in that in that moment and how it's going to radically alter your life. I mean, you talked about how you didn't know that when your son was born, you know, he was going to change your life and your calling and your ministry in profound ways. And you really can't make sense of that until you have some uh, some distance and some time. At the same time, I do think that we all reach a point where we can begin to see like this is a different kind of time. It's unsettled times as Ann Swidler likes to describe it. So you recognize that your life, most of your life is settled and you know, you've got sort of routines and sort of uh, a framework of how you're gonna live your daily life. But there does come a, a moment of recognition. And I'd say most of the time we figure that out within a few weeks to two months, but certainly there are uh, ripple effects or the, I guess the profundity of the impact oftentimes doesn't doesn't hit us until months and sometimes years later. Yeah, one of my mentors uh, told me many times in our seasons of life, who's been with me for over 20 years, that sometimes there's certain moments where you're going to need two or three years to understand what happened or why that move was so critical at this time. Um, and I think having the long view is one of those things we're losing in some ways, especially in a younger generation. And I want to pivot to discussing the next generation. This is where you've spent so many years now, Michael, just investing in the next gen. You, of course, when you were younger, were pursuing every arena you could find for mentoring, for growth, for learning. You had a long view that if you made those investments early, that over time, there'd be fruit from that. There'd be a harvest. There'd be something down the road that would would um, yield from the investment. But I find some so many times with the next gen, and I'm talking specifically Gen Z, college student age, there's so much cultural pressure to perform, to produce, to be relevant, to be seen as having influence or being known that the shortcuts start to come in. And it's hard to help a younger person always appreciate these principles that we see always play out in life of wisdom or proverbs Mm -hmm. that we need to be sowing seeds in these certain ages of our life. So as you're walking with college students, I mean, are you seeing similar things? What are some of the signs of life that you're seeing around this conversation? And how would you encourage other leaders who want to invest in the next generation and they want to help them see that over life, there might be several of these moments coming and we want to prepare you for it? Well, I am encouraged with what I see on at least the campus of Taylor and what I experienced on the campus of Gordon in that there is a real hunger among the college students I was interacting with who really want uh, to, to tackle some of the bigger questions. They're, they're very concerned about what is justice? How do I show love to my neighbor? Um, where is God in the midst of the political turmoil and strife? And 
I, I think that there is a, a real hunger for some of those bigger topics. At the same time, we have never been more distracted than we are today. And I think we've never had more interruptions on being able to take the long view, whether it's the uh, frequency with which people are moving, right? We, we don't stay settled for nearly as long. Or if it's the effects of the pandemic, I, I'm finding that the pandemic is one of those things that <laughs> it's probably going to take us years to see the full ramifications of how the pandemic has changed our lives. But but one one significant way is just sort of a reorienting of both priorities and of um, yeah, uh, commitments. So we're seeing people, for example, who are saying, you know, I used to think I had to live in this city and I'm now wondering if I can live closer to my family because I really want to value that. That's really important to me. So part of what I try to encourage students at Taylor is to build some regular habits or rhythms in their life where they can actually be uh, quiet and have a connection with God that is able to be heard even through the noise. So a large part of that is not having your devices with you at all times, having a regular practice of keeping Sabbath, and also building some disciplines around your relationships where you don't have your phone with you when you're having uh, dinner with a roommate. Those kinds of things become important, not just signals for how we shape our life, but also how we can be attuned to the call of God. Yeah, that's good. Well, Michael, just in closing, I know you've seen a lot over the last 20 years. I want to I want you to step back and sit kind of in the chair with me of, of looking at cultural moments that we sit in right now and the opportunity for the church, the opportunity for Christian leadership, institutional leadership, of which you've invested so many years of your lives. Um, as you're looking at this landscape in the end of 2021, moving into 2022, and you see how much the landscape has changed, whether it relates to religion and faith and respect for that, or just in general, the way American culture specifically um, has changed. What, what, what gives you hope? Um, what, what gives you pause? What, what would you say to leaders listening now that have been a part of this community for so many years? We have over 100,000 leaders you know, that are part of the Q Ideas world with us um, and who listen to these conversations. How would you encourage them to kind of see as we look ahead, as we start looking towards the next year, the next decade, about the opportunity that sits in front of us? I think one thing that gives me pause is our inability to um, disagree or to differ from our, our friends and neighbors in a way that still uh, is in alignment with our values. So we, we just have got, uh, particularly those in the church, have got to find a way to model um, how to be civil to people with whom we have strong disagreement. Throughout the Gospels, we're admonished to demonstrate love to people that are enemies. How much more so should we be able to uh, demonstrate love to people that aren't our enemies, but they just happen to be people that we have some disagreements with? And I'm, I'm, I'm worried that we're losing that ability, that we're losing our patience, we're losing our ability to be prudent in how we relate to one another. Now, I haven't lost all hope, but it is an area of real concern. An area for hope and encouragement, though, is that I do think that we are seeking to bring together not only the proclamation of the gospel and the evangelism of the world with a recognition that we have to, we have to care for the practical needs of um, those that we love. I, I was super impressed, for example, with the ways that Samaritan's Purse responded to the pandemic 
and setting up a temporary hospital in Central Park of New York. Um, and New York has not always been a state that's been very friendly to ministries like Samaritan's Purse. But they demonstrated, you know what, we really want to meet practical needs, and this is a way that we can do it. I'm hopeful that there is a generation of evangelicals and committed Christ followers who want to do that same kind of thing. And I see them every day. I go to worship with them in chapel three times a week here at Taylor. So I know that they exist. And my encouragement, and I guess my prayer, is that their numbers will grow and that we be able to see a whole new um, era of uh, the work and witness of the church coming out of the pandemic as we are in the recovery phase in a way that's more authentically Christ-honoring and also makes a positive difference for the common good. Again, thanks for listening to this week's Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons on Faith Radio. And Gabe, what a great conversation with Michael Lindsay, president of Taylor University and author of the book, Hinge Moments. Seriously, the wisdom he brings, Gabe, is so helpful. And even to his final point, how do we think well about civility, respect? How do we wrestle with difficult topics where we might have disagreement even within the church, but know how to treat one another well. And, you know, at Q Ideas, that's what we've been doing for so many years. We've been doing our best to bring voices together who might otherwise disagree on a lot of different things, but find common ground. Or if they disagree, to do so respectfully so we all learn, so we all learn how to think, not just what to think, but how to think. And of course, thinking well is such an important part of why Q exists, to sit down, to listen and think so we can advance good. That's why we have things like the Q Media platform, as well as host events like virtual town halls and conferences. Speaking of which, Gabe, we have another one coming up this spring. So as you're looking at your calendar, mark April 28 and 29 for our next Culture Summit. We're going to be doing that out of Nashville, Tennessee. It will be an in-person experience that also allows for a virtual experience for those who want to host in their own city or they want to invite friends over to their home or you just want to watch it by yourself, which is not our recommendation because we think the topics we're covering require dialogue, require conversation and help you get the most out of the experience. But you can learn more about that by going to qideas.org slash 2022, and you can see a little more detail on our dates. We're going to be announcing our presenters, our topics, and all of that in the coming weeks. But put it on your calendar. Mark your calendar. Save the date, April 28 and 29. We'll have 10,000-plus people joining in for a conversation that we must have about where the world's going and what it will look like for us to faithfully navigate it. So I hope you have a wonderful day. We look forward to continuing these conversations next week. Ideas with Gabe Lyons is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thanks again for listening. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at myfaithradio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.